Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. I was in the Dominican Republic. Okay, I was there for a week. It was beautiful. And I appreciate you, Adam, not revealing my location because really it was it was very, very relaxing and I just I just couldn't handle being a week away and just being mobbed. I just couldn't handle it. So so thank you. Yeah, it uh did you get hounded for autographs while you were there? A lot of catch and shoot fans, no? Yeah, just just to sign the bill on, on different things, but that's it. <laughs> that's it. Only 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 autographs only autographs I was given out. But it was a great week away, eighty five and sunny and I've come back to the New York Bureau and it's like New York wants to be Seattle and it's raining and fifty degrees and it's May. Brutal. I don't have that issue in the Bay right now. It's nice, warm, relaxing. So I'm not dealing with any of that, Noah. My apologies, buddy. But it's good to have you back. I, I missed you. I know our super producer, Bruce Bernstein, was trying to steal your thunder. And uh, let me just say it's good to have your voice back. I appreciate Bruce, but it's good to hear your voice again. He was, he was actually all right. He's terrific. Bruce is the best. But uh, it's good getting you back. It's good all right, so we've back. got Mark Jones coming up. The longtime ESPN NBA play-by-play voice. We'll talk to him. But first... Time to hit the spread. All right, so the spread this week that's all we can actually talk about are the conference finals. So it's the NBA's Final Four. We're also going to talk about John Beeline. Also, make sure you check out the Mike Wise Show on Pure Hoops Media as part of the Pure Hoops Media team. The Pure Hoops podcast, which comes out on Fridays with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong and Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McKnight. So let's get into the conference finals, Eastern Conference finals, the Raptors and the Bucks. I don't think it's going to be too much of a challenge for the Bucks. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I think when you watched what Giannis did to the Celtics, it. it I mean, I I said this before Noah, but it felt like, um, you know, a college basketball player playing against sixth graders. It, the way that he dominated, it was like that old Sports Center commercial when like Stuart Scott and the yeah, guys yeah, were like yeah, blocking yeah. the kids' shots and all that. <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt like. I mean, and granted, I mean, it wasn't just that that series, but we saw it throughout uh, the season. I mean, Giannis had that kind of year. What seventeen points a game in the paint? Um, it, it, it just a dominant force. There's really very few guys in the league that can even start to contain him even just a little bit. And, and it's not just Giannis. That team is playing with such great rhythm. And, and one loss in the playoffs, 60 wins during the regular season, which hasn't happened in the last few years in the East. So 
they're rolling. I'm I'm with you. If if, if Toronto is to win, what what is like the headline? And I don't mean in terms of their actual win, like the reason behind it. Um, what what would you say the reason that if Toronto wins I mean, this the, series? Right. The reason the reason is going to be that Kyle Lowry or and or Pascal Siakam are averaging you know twenty two to twenty five a game because I, I don't see. It's. I got asked about this this morning as we recorded some Tuesday on Toronto radio this morning about you know can they can they do what the Sixers did in two thousand one with Iverson and I said well I mean the Raptors are a good defensive team but they're not as good as that Sixers defensive that mm-hmm. Sixers team was and when your your best defensive player is also the guy who you actually do need to score thirty two a night and play make. Whereas that Sixers team, Iverson wasn't doing anything on the defensive side of the ball and don't even look at steals. He just he actually wasn't playing defense and they all knew it. So I think you you need so much from Kawhi on both ends to make this work that you absolutely have to have secondary and that third and that third score, not just to contribute here and there, but to contribute in a major way. And and by the way, Noah, that it's interesting that you bring up that, that Sixers run uh, in 2001 because the similarities, you know, it's it's like this deja vu history in a weird way getting a chance to rewrite itself. I, I, I tweeted about it, but Vince Carter misses a shot at the buzzer for Toronto, uh, you know, the, the 6'7 wing superstar. Meanwhile, Kawhi hits his shot at the buzzer to end the series. It's a low-scoring affair. Both mm-hmm. are game sevens on a Sunday in May, and then both teams go on to play the Bucks in the um, in the Eastern Conference right, Finals. Right, right, and that was that was that was the grad that was the graduation day for the graduation Vince day that Vince Carter UNC. chose to go to yeah. his graduation. And and also, by the way, the superstar for the Sixers that day, Allen Iverson, had 21 points. Joel Embiid had 21 points on Sunday. Uh, about that. About that, and then the, and then if you ask anyone on that Bucks team, staff, players, they still think they should have beaten the Sixers in the Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals. If if and believe it or not, if Scott Williams hadn't been suspended, and they're still pissed off at the officials. But yes. I, I, mean, I I do think that the Bucks defense. So so after Game One, in uh, in the Eastern Conference semis, when they, when they lost to the Celtics, the Bucks it, they clearly needed something else from Bledsoe, and then they got it. And then their defense has been good, has been so good all year, and especially in transition. They give it the fewest fast-break points in the league, and their defense has been suffocating also so far um, in the playoffs. So they move the ball so well on offense. The defense is so good that I, I, could, I could see this being a, a five- or six-game series. But even if it goes six, I don't, it's not going to feel like six to me. Yeah, that's interesting. And by the way, the one one matchup you brought up, Kyle Lowry, him against Eric Bledsoe, both guys that can be up and down, both two of the tougher guards in the league, two guys that sort of grind it out. Um, they'll play defense, uh, veteran players. I'm excited to see that matchup between between Lowry and Bledsoe. Yeah, and also if I'd say that you know it's odd that we hadn't mentioned Malcolm Brogdon because he's going to be back and he was so mm-hmm. much part of their regular season success. I'd say it'd be even that much more significant. But Fred Van Vliet has just been completely absent from the playoffs, so it's After almost a like great regular almost, season, right? Right. It's almost like it's almost like a wash. Let's go over to the West, where I'm not surprised that the Blazers beat the Nuggets. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back, going two for two on on Sirius Radio on Sunday morning, and actually oh. and actually saying that 
the Blazers would beat the Nuggets in Game 7 because of how tough they are, that even if they get punched and punched hard first, they will never stop fighting because that's who the Blazers are. And that's exactly how, and that's exactly how they won. And, and I love the, the Dame-CJ Lillard dynamic and Damian Lillard who understands that it can't always be him and that he's okay with, and that's the true sign of a superstar, I think, okay with somebody else taking over a game like C.J. McCollum did, but they're not going to beat the Warriors. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with all that, and I think it's important to mention what you just brought up about the Blazers, you know, especially in the context of people in Portland and, and probably NBA fans in general have been talking for the last few years about, well, they got they got to get rid of one of them. And so, obviously, McCollum probably seems like the likely man out. You can't play with both of these guys. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it, it's not even deferring. I don't even want to call it deferring. It's that it, they understand when the other one is hot that that's who they have to focus on, making sure that they stay fed. And I, I think that's so critical. And watching, you know, we saw Dame get his big moment, obviously, uh, against the Thunder. And then you turn around now and in game six, McCollum with a monster game just dominating. When Dame started, I want to say one of 12 or something. Um, and it ended up being McCollum's pull up at the, at the elbow uh, when he sort of pushed off a little bit. I mean, and, and again, Dame sort of backed off and let, and let CJ have his moment. I think the way those two have played is just awesome. And then obviously they've gotten help from others. And, um, you know, Cantor is, is going to be critical. But this matchup is really tough for them. The Warriors got all they could sort of handle through six from, from the Rockets, and, and the Blazers are not the Rockets. This is, uh, this is, this is Warriors to lose right here. I, and I agree, but I do think this is going to be a hard-fought and there's always a blowout. There's always a blowout in the series so at one point, you know, a game or two, but I think it's actually going to be a hard-fought six-game series. I think I think the Blazers end up winning one of these first two games in Golden State. Really? Without 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 really? KD without KD around. Yeah. And and CJ McCollum talked about it. he does a great podcast, the pull up pod with my buddy yep. Jordan Schultz. And and CJ he gets really deep into like what what makes Clay Thompson such a good defender and how different um how different Houston is uh than 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 playing against Golden State and you know where they run their pick and rolls and, ha- and who their offense runs through and I think Portland understands that that offense runs through Draymond Green so I think they're they're dialed into that and that's one of those it's one of those matchups that you know I think Portland's going to do their best like I can't wait to see Evan Turner, Ennis Kanter, and Draymond on the floor together because mm-hmm. I think they're going to try to bait Draymond Green into something and I oh. think and I, and, I, and I think that could that could play a part in this series. And the fact that and 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 look, sticking with the superstars though, that Lillard being from Oakland and being an underappreciated star when he was, you know, when he was coming up in high school, and locally people understood, but nationally he was not getting recognition. Ends up at Weber State, of course, and there's there's been this chip on his shoulder. But the chance now to play in a Western Conference Finals and playing games against in your hometown, um, the season before. The Warriors leave for San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. You couldn't have scripted it any better. So I'm excited about how this whole thing is going to play out. All right. So let's since you're the the college basketball guy, John Beeline at 66 years of age. Uh, from what I understand, the Piston stuff was real when he interviewed there, but it was last year, two years ago, and now he takes the Cavaliers' job. 
before he even knows if the Cavaliers are going to get Zion Williamson or not. What do you make of the move for, for the Cavs? And also, what does it say about Michigan and college basketball in general? Well, it's an interesting thing. I, I, I know that um, John Beeline is, is one of the great basketball purists uh, at any level. And, and really the best, for the last decade, I would say, the best X's and O's guy in the college game. And I don't even think it was close. The stuff that his teams were running, uh, whether it be at, at West Virginia or even, you know, certainly at Michigan, and to see what he's done with those those two programs and the level that he raised both of them to, um, to get the, the guys to buy in defensively and then offensively, just to play with such tremendous skill and togetherness and chemistry and to reach a point where over the last, you know, two seasons, Michigan's won 30 games. I mean, this was a team, his first season at Michigan, he, he won 10 games. So um, just from a basketball standpoint, I'm excited to see what he does. And I think it, I, I know it was a question about money. I, you know, his son is, uh, my, my, uh, my brother is actually friends with his son and, and the son was pushing Beeline to make the jump. And I think the reason that, that he wanted to do it, I mean, this is a lifer, Noah. I mean, this is a guy that coached at Lemoyne. He coached at Canisius, Richmond. I mean, he's so respected among his peers for the journey and always helping out. I know other coaches and young players. I know a guy that was blackballed as a, as a college player and, and uh, Beeline stepped out on a limb for him and called coaches and said, hey, you, you got to give this guy a chance. He's, hmm. he's deserving of a spot. He's just that kind of person. He's a good guy. And I think, you know, uh, he's sincere in his messaging, and I think that'll that'll stick. But I think he was just tired of the the recruiting, tired of guys leaving early, not knowing who's going to be on his roster, um, you know. And you, you have a young star, in Iggy Rosdakis, this year. Um, there's NBA talent uh, across the board, but he does it without NBA talent. So, and I think he wanted to go to a team that that he's got some that also, that also doesn't have a lot of NBA talent. That doesn't have a lot of NBA <laughs> talent. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me, though, no, I will, I will say this, and, and, and then uh, I'm, I'm curious about your opinion, though. I'm really – the biggest thing for me is how long of a leash is he going to get in Cleveland? What are the expectations? And, of course, the lottery, which we're recording this before, before the lottery uh, it even takes place. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with this draft. But I'm curious as to how long that ownership – uh, gives him and says, hey, we're behind you 100% to let you build this thing. Because there is no doubt in my mind that he will find success. He will figure it out. But obviously, this is a Cleveland roster that is just atrocious, really, as far as I'm concerned. And so I think that's the question for me, is how long they're going to give him uh, and let him sort of ride this thing out. And there's actually a pretty good piece uh, on purehoopsmedia.com Written actually. by our producer, Scott Turk. And actually, I say actually because I'm surprised. I didn't know Scott could write. But it's on uh, on purehoopsmedia.com. So check out Scott's piece on on John Beeline. And it's, yeah, every college, from doing play-by-play over the past few years in college basketball, I always ask coaches, look, I know you steal. I know coaches steal from everybody. So who, who, do, you, who do you take things from? And, and guys have long lists. Every single one of them mentions John Beeline. Every single one. Of them. <laughs> they all say, "Yeah, I take you know, I take this from Beeline, I take that from Beeline." Next, next week, yeah, Beeline, Beeline, Beeline. Every and he, and he's the only one that comes up every single conversation is John is John Beeline. And I think 
look, I mean, if you're if you're a, a fantasy basketball player, I think Colin Sexton will be a brilliant add on your roster next year because John Beeline will open things up. No doubt. No doubt. That was dope. And we're joined now by a longtime NBA voice on ESPN. He's a Toronto native. He is Mark Jones. Mark, where does Kawhi shot rank on your Toronto all-time sports moments list? Wow. In terms of all-time lists, modern day number one easily. Um, you know, that shot by Kawhi is now Toronto's uh, iconic sports moment when you think about uh, the gravity of the shot, uh, what was at stake, uh, the journey. Uh, I would think that uh, up there as well is probably, uh, it might just, for me personally, edge out uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the Stanley Cup in 1967 and the Toronto Argonauts winning the Grey Cup, I think it was, in 1971. If that means anything. <laughs> wait, wait, so wait, where's the wait, so where's the Joe Carter home run? Uh, you know what? I, you know, I, I'm sorry, man. I forgot about that one. The Joe Carter one's huge too. Um, one of back to backs. Uh, yeah. You know what? I got to give it to Kawhi. I got to give it to Kawhi. It was the the moment that froze in time as the ball hung on the rim. Uh, gave it uh, a little bit more um, more gravity, more magnitude, more drama. Um, Joe Carter's was was pretty dramatic too, uh, you know, walk off home run. But uh, I'm just partial to hoops. There, okay, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you called uh, Game Four of that of that series. Um, I, I guess it's a two part question. What are your impressions of of Kawhi right now in the playoffs? And then, what's the relationship like with him and the city of Toronto? You know what? It's interesting that. Uh, that he makes that shot right in, in, in that game, game seven against the backdrop of being maybe the best one year rental in the history of the NBA, right? Like if imagine if Toronto goes on to win the Eastern conference finals, makes it the NBA finals and uh, who knows what happens there, but all this is happening against the prospect of Kawhi Leonard being um, a Los Angeles Clipper next year, or who seem to be the front runners, or any other team uh, out, out on the, in the Western Conference. Um, I think the relationship with him and the city is one that they understand where they're coming from. I, I'm going to be honest about this. I think, you know, I, I was born in Toronto. I spent uh, part of my life up there. I've uh, been in the United States for 30 years now. I've, I've gotten a good kind of prism looking at it both ways. Uh, Torontonians have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They've got a little bit of a an inferiority complex when it comes to uh, the NBA and free agents. Um, there's a litany of players that have been traded there, didn't want to stay or got their money, uh, Antonio Davis, and wanted to leave uh, pretty much immediately afterwards. Lonzo Mourning got traded there, said, I'm not going. So they're a little bit understandably jaded when it comes to um, players that don't want to stay. Uh, I, I think that they're at the point now where they'll just take what they can get out of Kawhi. Um, he's given them an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. So I think at this point it's safe to say that they don't have anything to be mad at him for if he decides to leave. You know, there are feelings that he might want to stay. 
Um, I would say that him staying is uh, probably a, a, a 30-70 prospect in terms of him leaving. Um, and because of that, I, I think Toronto's like, hey, listen, whatever we get out of this guy, we got to the conference finals. If we make it to the NBA finals, that's better. If we NBA NBA championship, that's best. And if he leaves, then we got our championship. Well, 30% chance that's better than the Knicks have of winning the lottery. So I guess... That's pretty good. As as we record this, though, on, on Tuesday morning, by the time it comes out, then we'll know what happens in, in the draft lottery. Raptors, here we go. They get it to Leonard. Drives right. Down to the baseline. Fall away for the win. Got it! It hit four rims and went down. Kawhi Leonard's shot went up in the air. It hit the rim. It bounced on the rim before going through the bucket. Toronto wins 92-90. Your brother Paul, of course, the radio voice of the of the Raptors. How quickly after the game did you two speak, and was he pleased with the call? Yeah, he was. I mean, uh, he, he loved it. I mean, it was uh, probably his best moment on the microphone mm-hmm. for the Toronto Raptors. Um He's been doing it for, for over a decade now, and um, there hasn't been a shot that, uh, that he was probably more fully engrossed in than that last basket by, and by Kawhi. And to really understand, um, you know, what, what happens with it, – it's personal for a guy like my brother, right, um, who gets to make that call, the game-deciding bucket in Game 7, and, you know, the journey of – NBA and Toronto is an interesting one. When, when my brother and I were f- still working up in Toronto, um, there was just a handful of diehard fans like us. Um, nobody else knew whether the basketball was pumped or stuffed. They were still chasing hockey pucks. You know, uh, my brother and I were living on the Buffalo Braves, Dr. Jack Ramsey, Randy Smith, Bob McAdoo, Bird Averett, Ernie DiGregorio. Uh, we would drive down to Buffalo or get rides down to Buffalo and watch the Braves. The Braves actually played a um, uh, package of regular season games at Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens back at the time, which is where the Leafs played. So to understand that that's part of uh, my brother's basketball uh, journey and lineage uh, mm-hmm. makes that shot even bigger when you think that the Raptors didn't even have a team. We lost the Buffalo Braves in Toronto, which was kind of an adopted team by Torontonians like my brother and I. Uh, we lost that team to what, San Diego Clippers they became, and then the Los Angeles Clippers ultimately after that. Um, then we kind of adopted the Detroit Pistons, even though that was like a four-hour drive down from Toronto to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Daly, God rest his soul, and, and Matt Dobeck, the coach and uh, PR director back in the day, used to take great care of me when I made the drive down there and mm-hmm. uh, put me front row for a guy working at a, a 50-cent TV station, uh, radio station that – you know, we're still trying to figure out the business. So it's an interesting journey when you look at the dynamics of Toronto basketball and where that crowd is now to look at Scotiabank Arena, and it's pretty much packed every night, right? They, they're they among mm-hmm. the league leaders in attendance. Yeah, there, there are a lot of follow-ups I have just based on that answer, but let's stick with what you said last about working for, you know, the 50-cent TV station and sitting front row. When you, when, when, when you're, when you're that age... What did you learn about the business then that that you still reflect back on sometimes now? 
man, it's um, it's about really the storytelling. Um, I think when I became a play-by-play announcer, um, a lot of the broadcast is steeped in not just the stats, but but the storytelling. Um, you know, to uh, get to into locker rooms uh, before games, and when I was a, a field reporter. Um, a lot of the legwork was getting inside the locker room, asking guys how they prepared for the game, you know, what's going on in their lives away from the court, um, how their families are doing, um, what their relationship with the coach is like, what that game means to them, how big is it in the big picture of things for them. Uh, I think those were some of the fundamental things that I learned uh, coming up through the business that, some of the best broadcasts uh, beyond the stats, whether a team goes over 27 from three-point range or 27 for 27, it's it's the journey, right? It's uh, you know, it's Ennis Canner waking up at four in the morning during Ramadan to drink uh, 16 ounces of water or 32 ounces of water and have uh, some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for energy because <laughs> it's Ramadan and he can't eat or drink during the daylight hours and to know that at halftime he's going to go into the locker room and finally get a chance to eat and drink because sundown was officially at 8.36 p.m. that night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are some of the backstories that, for me, I learned really enhance a broadcast. You know, I work with Hubie Brown. Nobody is better tactically than he is. He's going to take care of the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's, and, you know, my job is to set him up for things like that. But... Uh, I, I feel that part of my responsibility as a play-by-play announcer is to, you know, talk about a, a Damian Lillard who, um, you know, is a, was a two-star athlete coming out of high school and couldn't even get on an AAU team that was any good to get recognized uh, on the circuit and to see where he is now. Those kinds of things, I think, ultimately for the casual fan, uh, make the casual fan at home say, wow, that's, that's really cool, that's interesting. We'll we'll get to Hubie Brown in a second because obviously a fascinating <laughs> figure in the basketball world. But but Mark, your first play-by-play gig. What are your memories of it? Wow, my first one was um, it was a college basketball game uh, back in the early '90s. This is on network TV. I did I'd done a, a bunch of. Um, you know, campus radio stuff at York University. But my first national broadcast uh, basketball was an Arizona State-Cincinnati game. And this is when Cincinnati still had Bob Huggins as their head coach. And I remember Huggins having a real, like, I'm not going to say it was a, a wild and crazy crew, but it was like it was like Danny Fortson, if you remember him, that played sure. for a while. It, it was it was uh, Art Long who punched out a horse on campus one time and got in trouble. Remember? <laughs> it was it was it was uh, you know Melvin Melvin I forget his last name a guy that had a 42 inch vertical jump. Levitt um, Levitt the helicopter. Melvin Levitt yes yes yes. Helicopter. It was it was those guys and um, they played against um, uh, Arizona State and I remember the game being decided on a on a half court heave. Uh, at the buzzer, and uh, Cincinnati won the game, and uh, me losing my mind, and after the game, walking away from the, the broadcast table thinking, wow, that was like a one-point game. The guy wins it on a 50-foot shot at the buzzer. 
they can't all be this good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember thinking it's it's got to be it, it can't it can't be all this. They can't all be this thrilling. Um, but that, that that was my takeaway from one of my first memories of doing play by play at the. Uh, at the network level with ABC and ESPN, it's pre- it's pretty lucky. So yeah, and, yeah it was a and, college game. And and so speaking of luck, getting to call games with Hubie Brown. I mean, as as fans, um, and and as basketball lovers, like we appreciate Hubie on a, a whole nother level. And obviously, he's turned into this iconic figure over the last couple decades. But working with him as much as you have, what are some things you've learned about the game? not just calling games, but also just spending time with him uh, during the day leading up to a game or the night before? You know, the guy's, the guy's mind is as sharp as a tack. Um, unbelievable how he uh, dissects games. And, and the things that, that I've learned is, you know, the NBA is very much a matchup-driven game. And um, in, in particular now, the way the game's evolved with the heavy emphasis on threes, um, it, it's kind of at the opposite end of, you know, what I see Hubie kind of preaching sometimes. Uh, he'll he he'll he won't understand a team taking uh, a three on two and running a layup and hitting the foul line 45 degrees cut in and take the layup on a three on two as opposed to a guy hitting the foul line and flaring out to the corner for a three pointer. Um, he he's quick to be able to point out advantages that teams might want to be looking at if if they're looking at being successful in a game. Um, I think uh, another thing I've learned is he, he he's really partial to uh, running stuff to get something uh, as opposed to being more of a kind of a random continuity type of uh, coach. But, uh, you know, what, what he sees is uh, so next level, guys, um, in terms of, um, you know, what teams need to get to, um, guys that uh, – can give them an advantage when they need it. Um, defensively, uh, being able to uh, be precise. And, you know, I guess in summary, like, it's the details that really add up to wins in the NBA and the teams that actually have time to um, practice those details on, on closeouts, um, on contesting shots, on, um, like I said, um, Hitting, hitting, uh, you know, entering the ball to the wing before you try and get into the post, as opposed to just throwing it into the post and it getting picked off. Uh, those little things actually matter. I think that's probably the bottom line on, on what I've learned in in all the years that I've worked with uh, the great Hall of Famer Hubie Brown. How late's he staying out at night on the road? <laughs> Be honest. Hey, <laughs> nobody works the lounge better than he does. Honestly, you you get him with a glass of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot and. And uh, to hear him recall some of the, the stories of when he was a first-year assistant coach with Larry Costello, uh, working in the uh, NBA um, and dealing with Oscar and dealing with uh, Kareem. And uh, it really is uh, a few generations back that is eye-opening. And his ability to recall is amazing, one thing. And then to recall it with the detail that he does um, is great. He's, he, he is the best storyteller uh, in the NBA that I'll ever be around. Mm-hmm. Who, who, who is the group of great hangs on the road? Um, man, Doug Collins is in my top five. Um, Hubie's in my top five. Um, 
You need a great wingman to have a great meal and talk basketball. That's PJ Carlissimo. Okay. Uh, <laughs> PJ's in the top five. Um, and then Charles Barkley has to be in my top five because everybody that he's like the Pied Piper. He's going to peep up, pick up a group of people as we walk or as we <laughs> dine or as we have cocktails. He's, yeah. it, it, the group of five will turn into a group of 50 by the night and, Everybody will have Charles's phone number, and everybody will be his best friend. Uh, he'll be he'll be the fourth guy, and then um, you know what? I, I got to put my um, who else do I have to put on my all uh, hangout team? You, you, don't have, you don't have to get five. Okay, okay. I was going to try and give you a starting five, but I'll just I'll throw myself in there too because my stamina is pretty good. <laughs> when you, yeah, when you develop when you develop chemistry, Mark, with with analysts, and you've worked with so many over the years. Are those hangs even more important than the time that you do spend together on the air? Yeah, it is, you know, because you, um, you get a certain comfort level um, when you're sitting down at your production meeting or uh, sitting down um, at lunchtime or sitting down at dinner uh, after the game, and uh, you get a feel for uh, the things that um, your partner enjoys talking about within the game and um you know it's a it's a nice kind of uh synergy that works between the two of you um like i said i i know that if i'm asking hubie about matchups he's going to give me uh some great nuts and bolts and um uh he he knows that um he's going to give me time to uh talk about uh jimmy butler and um his story coming up in houston and uh being homeless as a 12-year-old and, uh, you know, faxing in his letter of intent to Marquette from a McDonald's where he was having to work a part-time job. Uh, he knows I enjoy telling those types of stories, and I know he enjoys um, pointing out certain basketball things. Uh, when I work with Doris Burke, uh, Doris gives you a mix of uh, strategy, strategy. She gives you a mix of uh, background of players, storytelling, um, in-game strategy, um, uh, you know, league-wide, uh, like a panoramic view of the league and how whatever we're doing or talking about or game we're documenting, how that fits into the bigger picture of things. Um, you know, Mark Jackson is uh, the guy that uh, will give you X's and O's and also give you uh, a great player perspective um, during the game. Um, you know, we did a game earlier this year where uh, I saw a two-guard uh, posting up or a point guard posting up. And I said, man, Mark, I haven't seen a guard post up since you did. And he went on about that. So uh, from him, I get the player perspective. Uh, and then Van Gundy is – Van Gundy's all over the map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't say. Jeff is a little, Jeff is a little more random, um, and you just kind of wait for it. And you're a wild and card. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff is a read and react guy, and uh, you never really know. He he's as unscripted as any of the analysts that that I work with, and that's part of the fun of it too. You know, he gives you great insights along the way. You talk about these guys giving you the ability to tell stories. Well. I'm going to give you the ability to tell a story because when I was doing research for this, I read that you stood within inches of Fidel Castro when you called the Pan Am games. 
So you you yeah. got to tell me about that experience if you could. 1991, my first year with uh, ABC and ESPN, we're doing the Pan American Games uh, down in Havana, Cuba. And uh, I was actually um, not doing the basketball. I was doing the boxing. And they moved the championship bouts on gold medal day to from Sala Kid Chocolate in Old Havana to the major arena in, in the capital of um, Cuba. And during the uh, intermission, the, um, you know, when they're coming up to the next bout, uh, we just stood up, me and Alex Wallow stand up, stood up to take a break. And uh, I turned around and Fidel Castro was right behind me. And it was one of those, it was one of those moments like, Hey, am I supposed to be here, or is he supposed to be here? What's going on? <laughs> you know, because you know it's a it's it's a different place. It was you know it's a communist country, obviously, and um, but he he was just another fan watching the broadcast, watching the uh, the fights, and uh, you know he's a big boxing fan, or was a big boxing fan, and um, it was the the moment kind of hit me like a ton of bricks like wow this is uh you know this is the fidel castro that um people have very strong feelings about uh in south florida and around the world and uh also on the island where we were in cuba and uh we kind of we shared a glance it was like kind of a nod of the head and you know <laughs> just kind of a one for humanity and <laughs> and it lasted all of like, you know, 10, 15 seconds. And then it was like back to the fights for me. It was, okay, what's, what's this next bout, you know? And um, I remember uh, going back to my room that night and uh, lying down thinking, wow, I, I, may, I, I have friends in my neighborhood here in Miami who, have, who are Cuban-American who've never been to Cuba, who will mm -hmm. never obviously see Fidel Castro and talk about him a lot. And uh, I just thought that was, that was pretty pretty unique experience you know, when, unique. When, yeah when, when you shared that story then with with your friends who are cuban americans in, in miami what has been their reaction over the years <laughs> uh they you know I, I i got a background uh a historical background on on obviously some of the some of the terrible things that uh, have happened on the island under his regime and uh, i also got a story of um some of the good things that he's done on the island from uh, an opposite perspective, um, you know, and uh, some of the uh, Afro-Cubans um, that I know from the island have given me different, different looks, and uh, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's a complicated story, you know, um, but, uh, you know, just to be able to uh, see him, to, to look into his eyes and... Uh, and and uh, be in that moment was it was it was kind of something beyond the whole political thing, guys. To be honest mm -hmm. with you, you know, not to of course, you know, yeah, it was it was it was deep. It was deep. Sure, you know, sure, yeah. And okay. the thing I remember about the basketball competition was that we actually lost. Jimmy Jackson was on that team, uh, amongst a few other guys. I can't remember uh, in the basketball competition. We ended up finishing like fourth. Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, and I can't remember who we lost to, but we ended up losing to to one of the teams down there. Yeah. You, you could play a bit, right? I still get out there a little bit. I, I, I'm an L.A. fitness pro. I'm, I'm first team all L.A. fitness. Uh, 
just the uh, the four o'clock run, not the good noontime run. I'm not <laughs> one of those guys that at my age, fellas, you know, no, I'm not trying to trying to go out there and and come home and say, uh, Sarah, can you take me to the hospital? I think yeah, I yeah, ruptured yeah, my Achilles tendon. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's but, not but worth Mark, it, man. But Mark, you said yeah. that. Like, right, so you I can still give guys buckets now in short periods. I can, I can. Don't don't be fooled by the nice suits on TV, guys. You know. Well, well I'm also I can, not I can give guys buckets. Age, I'm not going to be fooled by the age. Yeah, I mean, you, so you did that boxing, <laughs> you did that boxing match in, in 1991. I don't actually yeah. believe you're 57. So I think part of this pitch to Kawhi to keep him in Toronto is to show how well you've aged and say, look, man, like this is how it works. If you're if you spend enough time in Canada, you, you yeah. can age like this. Yeah, I don't want him to know that it's actually Florida that's done that for me, uh, well, not, not Canada. You, you said that, it's not the, me. It's the beautiful Florida uh, year-round climate that's done it for me, more than, more than the Canadian uh, brisk winter. As, as Kawhi says, it's, it's, it's really cold up there, but, you know, they got tunnels. That yeah, was, they do. Was, <laughs> for, for, yeah, yeah, fortunately, during All-Star a few years ago, they had tunnels, because I remember looking at my phone and it said, feels like negative 21, and I said to myself, I don't know what the f negative twenty one feels like. So I'm not, I'm not going outside. No chance. That was brutal, wasn't it? Oh, that's... that was as cold as I've ever. And that was coming off of New York the previous year, where, yeah. where it wasn't exactly warm either. Gotcha. They should have the All Star game in New Orleans every year. That's that's my that's my thing. Right, they really said they're should. going to Chicago and Indiana, and it's uh, all cold weather cities. What's uh, what's yeah. next for you? What's next up on the calendar? You know what? I'm uh, wide open. Um, I'm done until um, July, where I'll be doing. Um, all the play-by-play on the NBA Summer League uh, out in Las Vegas, which is awesome. I don't know if you guys have uh, yeah, sure. had much time to spend time out there, but uh, the NBA Summer League is great. It's, it's, uh, you get a chance to see uh, the stars of tomorrow, today. Uh, Zion will be out there. Um, you know, uh, all, all, John Morin will be out there. Um, they, they feature a lot of the, the top guys on – a lot of the main ESPN games in the evenings. And the great thing about it for me is that you get a chance to see these young guys uh, as they're just starting out and get a chance to know them a little bit. And, um, you know, two, year, two three years from now, uh, I'll get a chance to, you know, say, hey, I remember Zion, his first game out in Las Vegas at Summer League, or, mm-hmm. you know, R.J. Barrett, same thing. And it's great because all the coaches are out there too, you know, and the general managers are – you run into them at uh, some of the restaurants and casinos or just walking around the gym. Uh, you, you can come out there and spend an entire uh, day and see four great games in the two different gyms side by side. And it's, it's basketball heaven in July. It really is. Yeah, well, you certainly don't want to be outside there in July. No, no, because it's 118 degrees in the shade. But <laughs> otherwise, uh, it, it's a fantastic time. So that's what's up next on my calendar from uh, – July 5th to I think it's the 17th or 16th of July, I'll be out in uh, Las Vegas doing the NBA uh, Summer League. Mark, you talk about the young guys entering the league, but there's an older guy entering the league from from college, Sean Beeline, of course, taking the Cavs job. And you tweeted about it and you teased a story about a college coach (laughs) that became an NBA head coach. Could you could you tell us that story? Oh man, it was it was funny. It was uh, you know I can't really I, I'm not at liberty to say who it was, but um, it was uh, you know college coach gets hired and 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 is dealing with uh, his new team and after two weeks, you know uh, the the first year former college coach now the NBA head coach 
turns to his lead assistant and says, hey, how come he, you know, star player, you know, curses me uh, every time I take him out of the game? And <laughs> the assistant coach looks back at him and says, hey, man, that's it's kind of the way it is. You just got to work around that. <laughs> so I, I said that yesterday in the context of John Beeline. That was, that was a big adjustment because, you know, it's, hey, listen, guys, let's be honest, man. These are grown men. It, it, it's one thing to, um, you know, threaten a 19-year-old with a scholarship and get him motivated that way versus telling, um, you know, uh, a guy who's making uh, $30 million to give you effort or to do this or that. You've got to find different buttons to press. You've got to play a different psychological game when it comes to professional basketball. And I'll tell you one thing about him. NBA players are like kids. You can't fool them. They know when you're bluffing. NBA players sense bad tactics because it messes with their cash flow. It messes, messes with their bag. Uh-huh. You've got to make sure that you're coming correct with all the right calls because I'm telling you, these, there's a, I think the IQ, the collective IQ of NBA players is grossly underestimated. And, and I go back to this, this coach, this first-year college coach, as a first-year NBA coach, he he had to learn really quick, and he was lucky that he had a great staff of assistants beside him. And I think if Beeline gets a guy like J.B. Bickerstaff or whoever it turns out to be, he'll be fine. But otherwise, it's like a blitz, man. It's like a flood with all these guys coming at you and asking you questions because I'm not going to say that NBA players are confrontational, but if if you're out there – you know, talking bull and drawing up bull plays, then they're going to, they're going to let you know, you guys know that. Yeah. You know, it, it, Mark, I mean, Kevin O'Neill uh, is, is a friend of mine. And, he, and when um, I know the history of O'Neill with, with Toronto fans, but, but when KO told me when he was an assistant coach, he was so terrified of NBA players that every time he had to speak to them every day of practice, he would script out what he said the night before. And he memorized his speech when he was an assistant totally because it. He, he was so terrified of being exposed. Um, yeah, yeah. They, and, they know their stuff, man. They've seen every, you know, floppy, weak, motion, weak, strong play, <laughs> this, that. They know what works. They know what doesn't. And uh, you're right. I totally get it, what and, Kevin O'Neill was saying. And, and what I'm curious to ask you is that given um, the fact that you know all of these guys who have been longtime NBA head coaches, whether it's Hubie or – or Doug Collins, or obviously Mark Jackson, and and Van Gundy. You go, Van Gundy. You go down the list. What do what do guys who have been longtime NBA head coaches think of college guys when they when they come up to the league? Um, I think it's a mixed bag. I think um, you know uh, there are guys that are able to make the adjustment and um, you know ultimately earn their credibility. I think uh, there's a natural skepticism when they first come in uh, to the NBA and take over. Uh, I think if you remember, uh, you know, people wondered about Brad Stevens when he first came in and, um, you know, they're like, oh, how's he going to deal with Rondo, who was still in the Celtics roster at the time? And, you know, guys, you know, they're, they're like, they, they figure it out after a while. But, um, you know, I, I think the the adjustment um, they make is with the personalities. And, and I think that, uh, you know, when I, when I hear my coaching colleagues who have been longtime NBA coaches speak of 
um, college guys coming in, um, there's there's a there's a train of thought that says, hey, you know, they'll they'll figure it out, or they they might be able to figure it out, and after a while, they either sink or swim. And the the thing that they do have to recognize is that they've got to be authentic. They can't be somebody other than themselves. I think that's right, the one common right. denominator I hear them talking about. Um, I, uh, I, I've seen scenarios where it works out, you know, like you'd have to say with Brad Stevens, it's worked out okay right now, even though coach Stevens would tell you he didn't do a good job this year in, in, you know, college guys, coaching superstars, like college coaches, becoming NBA coaches, coaching superstars like Kyrie and Stevens is different than John Beeline coaching Cleveland's team next year. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's, that's a different deal. It's, it's just guys, you know? Um, and then I remember, Listen, I was here in Miami the year that John Calipari was fired by the Nets, okay? And he was a quote-unquote college guy who I think you could honestly say did not make a great adjustment to the pros because I know guys on that team that despised playing for him and hated his methodology. And I remember the day they played the Miami Heat, here in Miami, they lost the game. They pulled the ownership, pulled him off the team bus, put him in a town car, fired him right there on the spot, and, and that was it. That was it because I think uh, Cal at the time um, was very dictatorial in his approach with players, and you can't be that way in this league unless you're Greg Popovich and your head coach, general manager, and president. I, I I did want to get to the last question, but you just mentioned Pop. Uh, well, what do you what do you make of the way Pop handles sideline interviews? Uh, I'm not crazy about it. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, me um, neither. I don't I don't think it's right. Um, it's his not so silent form of protest against the intrusion of sideline reporters. Uh, I think it's a, a failure on on his part in terms of morphing into what we have as a game right now and being partners, because we don't necessarily enjoy everything that we have to do too. But if we're doing it for access and for the fans and take the fans inside the game, then, you know, um, at least I think we can, and he should at least give us or get us to a perfunctory level of, of comments. I think they're, mm-hmm. Hey, listen, when I, when you listen to Coach Malone or Terry Stotts or you listen to uh, Brett Eric Bolstra, Brett, Brett Brown, oh, my gosh, yeah, like these guys give you great insights, you know, so it doesn't have to be confrontational. So I disagree with him. It's, it's his right to do it that way, but I disagree respectfully. All right, so we always close out since it's called the Catch and Shoot podcast with – the question of who would you want taking the shot in a catch-and-shoot situation, Game 7, season on the line. So I'm going to give you that option, or since you're a broadcaster, Game 7, who are you calling the game with? <laughs> in, in, okay. in, in, case, in case you didn't want to alienate anybody on the broadcast question, you can go with the, you can go with the actual catch-and-shoot. I'll, I'll, go with the, I'll go with the Game 7 shot on the line, <laughs> and I'll take... Uh, I'll take Steph Curry. I'll take Steph Curry with the game on the line. Yeah. All right. 
and and, and, and not not a bad one to choose. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I know it's not a you know earth shattering answer, but uh, I mean when you see what he did in the fourth quarter, especially of uh, Game Six in Houston a few mm-hmm. nights ago, it's it's tough to go against him. I mean, bad left hand and all, and uh, didn't use it as an excuse, and you know scored when he had to. So yeah, I'd, I'd take Steph. I'd take Steph. Mark, we appreciate the time, and, and we're looking forward to seeing your face, hearing your voice again in July at NBA Summer League. Hey, guys, I look forward to seeing you guys out there. You guys going to make the trip? Uh, I was out there last year. I will not be there this year. Adam, you going to be there? Okay. Uh, maybe Utah. Maybe Utah. Oh, Let's the Utah see. one? Okay. Ad- Adam's, hey, Adam, well, maybe we... Adam's much more of a Utah guy than Vegas. Guy. <laughs> I can't handle anywhere else. Much Utah. more of a Utah Really, guy. huh? Man, the, the altitude at Utah makes my skin ashy. I go from classy to ashy. I can't do it, guys. <laughs> oh, Mark, thanks so much. Hey, we'll do another catch and shoot soon, guys. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, you're terrific. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're about to go off the rails. Mark was great, and I, I do hope that we get and have the chance to have him on maybe after summer league to get his impressions. But let's go off the rails here real quick. On, on vacation, so Eden, as you know, she's four and a half, and I th- I don't think I've ever seen a kid that age eat more ceviche in my entire life. I mean, she, I mean, this this girl put away more <laughs> shrimp ceviche, salmon grouper. She was eating she was eating octopus one night, and okay. and and she looks at me, and it was in this like this olive sauce, and she looks at me. We're sitting at the table. She said. Dad, this is so good. I could eat this for like 40 hours. <laughs> 40 hours. 40 hours. Uh, yeah, she loved I mean, every single day, Nova, bagel. And, and she would always ask, do we need to pay? Do we need to pay before we go? And she said, and we said, no, it's, it's an all-inclusive. So we've paid for everything already. She's like, oh, not like at home. And I, and I tried to explain to her that her life is an all-inclusive, as, <laughs> as, it, and as it should be at her age, yes, as, yes. as a child. I said, your life should be an all-inclusive. And I, I knew, it was, I knew it, was, it was a bit lost on her, but she did keep asking if we, if we, needed, if we needed to pay, if we needed to pay, and, and trying to explain to her what, what all-inclusive meant. But by the end, she, she was thrilled that like, we could just go to the swim-up bar and have a cocktail and then she could just swim away and we didn't have to sign anything wow and uh, she walks away as four and a half year old with a mimosa and a ceviche that's beautiful beautiful. i you know uh i missed you while you were gone on on sunday mother's day yeah um so over the holidays we had we bought my uh daughter who's a big soccer player avery she's 15 tickets the um the women's national team uh soccer team was was playing here in uh in the south bay uh they had a game at santa clara so uh we had tickets to this game and avery was really looking forward to it it ended up being the whole family ended up getting tickets like extended family all this we were going um and i was very happy for her that we were going to do this as a nice family trip on mother's day all this and then as the NBA playoffs started playing out, two game sevens, Noah, okay. while I was taking this hour and a half yeah. drive down to Santa Clara, watch a game for a few hours. And then, of course, we got to go to dinner after that. So um, I had to do the balancing act of 
watching I was that guy watching the NBA game while we're in the stadium of this soccer of the soccer match with by the way I was probably the only person I think the attendance was uh was 22,000 I think I was the only person of the 22,000 that that was what cared about the NBA playoffs while this uh, match was going on <laughs> well then you didn't have any issues with uh, buffering when you're watching no, on your phone it was you're it the was only clean. one watching it was clean. I wish I could have watched one of your broadcasts. During yeah, this. well. Oh, but also, um, speaking of uh, uh, speaking of our time together, I, I do hope everybody checks out my other podcast, The Follow-Up, with, uh, with you, Adam Stanko. Last week was uh, an open, revealing, honest, genuine conversation. So if anyone's listening to this podcast, wants to hear more about Adam especially, go download The Follow-Up. All right, you want to do the unnecessary thank yous? Yeah, I will do them. Well, thank you for having me on the follow-up. Sure. It was a wonderful experience, so I do genuinely uh, appreciate that. Thanks to Mark Jones for joining us today. Yes, thank um, you, Mark. Mark is uh, awesome. It was a great interview. Uh, super producer Bruce Bernstein, of course, who actually dipped out halfway through this thing. I don't know what was more important than what we had to do, but our other super I think, I think Bruce was I think Bruce was trying to figure out how to add me to the Slack chat that he keeps referencing in emails, but the email is only because I'm not on this Slack chat. <laughs> well, the other producer, though, you mentioned it just before, Noah. Uh, Scott Turkett can actually write. His, his piece on purehoopsmedia.com on John Beeline is a must-read. Isn't that shocking? It, it was. It, it was. I was surprised it only had to go through six edits. I. It was impressive. Well, thanks to Scott. Thanks to the whole Pure Hoops media team. And uh, hopefully Mike Wise has those audio issues figured out. <laughs> Talk to you all next week. Take care. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 